Morning, everyone. Am I on? Fantastic. How are we all doing? Good? Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> are we good? Yes. Do we need the heaters back on? Is that why there's a subdued silence? No? Good. Good answer, because I'm sweating like crazy up here. Um, I want to welcome you this morning again, One Hope. Uh, it's great to have you here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Joel, and I'm one of the staff and leaders here, and it's my privilege um, to yeah, explore God's Word with us this morning. And um, we're kicking off a new theme, uh, if you've picked up, the, picked up on that, um, which we've called The Way. We're looking at sort of the last sort of six or seven chapters of Luke as we lead into Easter and after Easter a bit as well. Um, and I guess trying to focus our hearts on that, you know, when we talk about the way, probably the first thing we think about is the cross, how Jesus has opened the way for us on the cross. Um, but really the heart behind these next sort of six weeks is that we can spend some time looking at the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and recognize how that is the way, shows us the way for us not just to live, but also the way to the Father. Um, and so similar to Glenn, I, I think our hearts are just to actually prepare ourselves for Easter. Um, and so what, what I want to encourage uh, is that you would read through the book of Luke between now and Easter. So it's like 19 days and there's 24 chapters. So I, I'll leave you guys to figure out the maths. It's like one point something chapters a day. If you want to divide it up neatly or if you want to do a chapter here, two chapters there. But just each day, just to immerse yourself in the gospel story of Jesus. Along with that, to pray for someone who you can share that story with. And actually that we can use this you know, period of Easter to really come back to the heart of the gospel. And come back to living that, sharing that, believing that. So I want to encourage you to do that. As we head into our interesting section, um, I want to sort of pull out a few of the key themes in that and uh, sort of link back to some of the early chapters of Luke. And um, it starts with the Pharisees. The Pharisees come up to Jesus, ask this question of when the kingdom is going to come. And Jesus explains to them that the kingdom is not here or there, but it's in your midst, because the kingdom of God is focused around a king. The king is in their midst, and so therefore the kingdom of God is there. So I want to unpack a bit of the kingdom of God for us this morning, because it's a key thing throughout Jesus' life, through his teaching. It's something he always comes back to. He teaches about it in his parables, um, different miracles and signs that he performs, uh, evidence of the kingdom, and I guess... The big thing for us to note this morning is that the, Jesus says that the kingdom of God, it's here and it's good news to be proclaimed. We see it in the start of Mark where Jesus begins his ministry and he goes out and it says, he says this, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's upon you. Therefore repent and believe in the good news. Then continues throughout Luke and says you need to, you know, I've come to proclaim the good news this is the reason that i was sent and so he goes to other towns to preach about the kingdom when he sends out the 12 and he sends out the 72 disciples the uh, people that were following him he says to them to go out and to proclaim the kingdom through word and through deed and then finally here in luke 17 
Jesus says that the kingdom of God is not here or there, but it's in your midst. So why is it good news that the kingdom of God is here? What does that mean? We read it all throughout Jesus' life, and it's sort of like, I don't know, I don't really see myself living in a kingdom. We don't have that many kingdoms in our world these days, so it's a bit of weird language. Why is the kingdom good news? Well, what we see in Jesus as he lives this way, we see that he is actually the king. He's the king of the world. He rules and he reigns. He has power over death and destruction. He has power over nature. He has influence on people. We see lives transformed. We see justice lived out. We see all this begin to happen around the person of Jesus because he's the king. And what Jesus is saying right there to the Pharisees is is that the kingdom of God is not a matter of location. See, sometimes we feel like that. We feel like that for me to connect with God, I've got to go here or there, that the kingdom of God is bound to a place, which is sort of, you know, the Old Testament idea that God's dwelling was within Jerusalem, within the temple. And so that's where God was. But then Jesus comes and we see the word puts on flesh and all of a sudden it's the king is here. The king is amongst us and he's in our midst. And that's true for us today. We believe that where Jesus says, where two or three gathered, there I am also. We find out, in, as Paul writes, that we are a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. So, the good news, the great news for us is that the King is here. Like amongst us, amongst the people. Not bound to a location, but now within a people, the people of God. Because the Spirit of God dwells within the people of God. Does that get anyone like just a little bit like, oh, a bit of awe and wonder, a bit of like excitement that the King of Kings... Here, he's with us, he's put on flesh, lived in our world, and he comes to rule and reign in our lives and in our world. That should be great news for us because, like I said, it has a whole bunch of implications that are good in terms of the way that he lives, the power that he has, but also because we see in our world, like. We desperately need a king. We desperately need a savior, someone to lead us forward, someone to show us that there's more to this life, that you know, we see our world falling apart. So I want to unpack this a little bit further because I think it's Im- imperative that we understand a bit of what God's saying when he says the kingdom of God because it's all throughout the Gospels. And as you're reading it over the next few weeks, you're going to come through it a lot. And so I spend a lot of time with young people, and I try and make things like as simple to understand. So I went to Google to define kingdom, which is a country, state, or territory ruled by a king or queen, or a realm associated with or under the control of a person thing. So kingdom is the king's domain. So therefore, the kingdom of God is the domain where God is king. Everyone got that? Hopefully. Kingdom of God is the domain where God is king. So then you need to ask yourself, what does it look like if God is king? Well, it means he's worshipped. 
He's obeyed. We serve him. We look to him for guidance, for leadership. But also means that he's the one that's in charge. He rules and he reigns. He protects his people. He fights battles. I mean, maybe if I'm, I'm like, I love Lord of the Rings and things like this. So if, when I hear of like a good king, you know, I've got images in mind of like Aragorn leading the people forward and all this. You know, I don't know if you, but do you get that? Think about what would a perfect king look like? What would it mean for his people? It means that people surrender to him. It's the king's agenda and plan that goes forward. And the first thing I think we need to wrestle with this morning is, is Jesus king of your life? Are you living in this kingdom? We need to ask ourselves, who's, who's the one that's worshipped in my life? Who's the one that's obeyed and served? Who's on the throne? Is it Jesus or is it me? Who's the king of your life? And maybe the first thing that we need to come back to as we lead into Easter, maybe the first thing is actually we just need to surrender and surrender again and actually fall on our knees and say, you know what? I've been trying to do this myself. And like Riley led us this morning, I need to center my life again. I need to build my life again on the firm foundation that's Jesus. He's the one who saves. He's the one who's worthy of all praise. He's the one that I'm going to build my life on. Maybe that's for us, you know, the first thing we need to get back to. And ultimately, the kingdom of God is good news because what we see throughout the Gospels, what we see on the cross, what we see as Jesus is raised again, is that the king takes us from death and leads us into life. And that's going to be a big thing that we want to look at this morning. That we see in the life of Jesus particularly, if you read through the Gospels, you see how lives are impacted through the presence of the King. Obviously, the challenging aspect for us is that while the kingdom of God is here, we also experience the reality of another kingdom, the kingdom of death or sin or darkness or the, the devil, however we call it. I think um, if, you, if you have access to YouTube, which you should, um, it's a great resource, um, you can search the Bible project Heaven and Earth. They use Heaven and Earth language to talk about how these two kingdoms come together. And some of these stills are from that. And they're a bit hard to see. But basically the left is the kingdom of God. The right, the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of God means God's present. He's here. He's, we experience his goodness. We experience his beauty. We experience justice. All that. In the kingdom of this world, we experience sin. We experience injustice. There's an ugliness to it all. And the reality is for us, we live in the tension of both in that. Is that purple in the middle? All right. I'm a little bit colorblind. We did a test at home the other week and it was quite embarrassing. Anyway, um, these kingdoms overlap and we live in the tension of both. And we see this in ourselves. We see this wrestle with you know, sin and our flesh, as Paul talks about it, with the world, with the enemy and temptation. And yet, on the flip side, we see the fruits of the Spirit, and we see 
the gifts of the God, and we see his power at work in our lives. We see that within ourselves. We see it within our world, where we experience the brokenness, the evil, the injustice, but yet we experience God's power, and we see lives changed. We see miracles happen. We see prayers answered, and we live in the tension of both kingdoms. But the truth of the Bible is that there's only one kingdom that will be left standing. And that's our hope. That's what we look forward to, that one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he's the King of kings, and that he will come and completely destroy sin, death, and destruction. That his kingdom will be the one that's everlasting. And that's part of this good news. That Jesus' kingdom is here, and it's here to stay. And that sin, death has been defeated, and one day will be completely dealt with. But the challenge for us in that is that Jesus will also let those who don't want him to be king, he will let them have their way. He will let them be eternally separated from him. And we need to come to grips with that. We need to understand that, that those who do not bow their knee do not live with the king forever. He still rules and reigns, but they experience that separation from him. And this is what the Pharisees are really asking about. When's, when's the end coming? When, when are you going to come? And Jesus says, well, you don't know. I don't know. But he also fixes their eyes to see that the kingdom is not just a future thing, but it's also a present thing. And that is good news for us, that God is at work now, that his power can change things now. And these are signs of a kingdom present. But, like Jesus says, that we still look forward, we still desire the days of the Son of Man, that we still look ahead to see, actually, you know what, Jesus is going to come back. And we taste now in part and in glimpse, and one day we see in whole. So we need to understand that we are living in a kingdom, that the King is with us. We need to be prepared. We need to live with Jesus as King. Live that by faith and not by sight. And as we read through the Gospels, we read through the New Testament, we see people trying to live with God as King. But there's one big challenge with that that I want to look at this morning is that it's far from comfortable. Living with Jesus as King is far from comfortable. He comforts. He's a good King. But the life in it is comfortable. See, as we look at what Jesus says to his disciples, he says that in this generation that many have rejected him as king. And I'm sure we would agree, we see that in our world, in our society, where many have rejected Jesus as king. And he gives them example. He says, look at the days of Noah. And what does it say that happened in the days of Noah? They were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage. In the days of Lot, they were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't point to the evil that was going on. I mean, you can read the stories in Genesis 6 and Genesis 19. Um, in Genesis 6, God says, like, the world was so corrupt that he was ready to destroy the whole world. In Genesis 19, the city of Sodom, like, terrible, evil city. But Jesus doesn't point to that. He just points to the fact that they were just eating and drinking, buying and selling, building, planting, getting married. Seemingly, like, not 
bad things. Yeah? Like they're all good things, but clearly what happened that they just got comfortable. <laughs> they just got stuck doing these things that were somewhat good but had become a God. And what happened is they missed what God was doing. They missed the fact that there was a guy who was righteous building in a heart that was going to save their lives. They missed that the king had come and he had brought a kingdom that leads to life. And I was thinking, what would be the summary of our days? The days of Noah, the days of Lot, what would be the days of us? You know, they were eating, drinking, watching Netflix, scrolling social media, in there, focusing on their investments, obsessed with their work, you know. What would it be for us? What would it be for you? you know, I think this is a test for us to see if we're distracted or not. And this is, I had this thought this week and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like that. Um, like how long do we go with no awareness of the king or his kingdom? Is it an hour? A couple hours? A day? A couple of days? Is it a week? We just come to Sunday and all of, oh yeah, there's king. Like I should worship him. You know, like, how long is that time frame in our life? How long do we go with no awareness of the king and just go along eating, drinking, building, planting, buying, selling? See, these examples that Jesus gives of Noah and Lot, they're a call for us to live with the king in a world that's rejected him as king. Like think of it, think of the story of Noah. What did that guy do? Like he built a gigantic ark on dry land. Like just how ridiculous would that have been to the people around him? They're just eating and drinking, going through life, having a great time, and there's a guy building an ark. It makes no sense. But when we understand that this is something that the king was doing, we begin to see that actually maybe our obedience and our lives shouldn't make sense in the world around us if the kingdom of this Jesus is different to the world around us. We see in the life of Lot, he's living in this morally corrupt city and angels come into the city and he is the one that actually recognizes them recognizes that there's something different about these people, brings them into his house, and there's an interaction that goes on between the people and the angels, and the angels are like, we're going to bring destruction on this city. You, if, you want to, if you want to be saved, you need to follow us out. And Lot's like, well, where am I going to go? I don't want to go to the wilderness. I don't want to go to that small city. But he follows them out from destruction into life. It's the same in Noah. There's destruction, but he obeys and finds life. So as we think of these stories, the question is, like, who do we trust? Who do we believe is the one that's going to lead us to life? Are we going to carry on eating, drinking, buying, selling, building, planting, thinking that's going to satisfy and that's going to lead us to life? Or are we going to believe the king who comes and says, this is how you're supposed to live. 
and there's a cost, and it looks a bit weird because you're building an ark in the dry land, and it's a bit hard because you have to leave the city that you're in, and you don't know where you're going. The reality is, who are you going to trust? So you think for many of us, we get stuck eating, drinking, building, planting, buying, selling. Good things, but things that are good that become God. They become idols. They become distractions because deep down we actually think that that's going to make me happy. We've bought the lies of the enemy, bought the lies of the world that we think that these things are going to bring me satisfaction. And how many times do I get home and think, oh, I just need, a, just need a couple hours on the couch. Just need to play that PlayStation. Uh, that'll, that'll relax me and and in the end, it just numbs my mind to reality. Who do we believe? Who do we trust? The reality is we have two options. We can live the way of this world, or we can live the way of the king and his kingdom. But we cannot do both. Though we live in the tension of both, Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both and what we see in the beauty of the gospels is that this is the way that jesus lives as you read through this week in the next few weeks we're going to see that actually jesus doesn't just take the comforts of this world that he was well due i mean he's king of everything he could have just come and lived the most comfortable life commanded people to do his bidding and just sat on a throne and eventually but he doesn't do that he comes and he lives as one of us in hebrews says someone who actually was tempted as we were who can sympathize with our weakness because he's walked our road that he lives in submission to the father's will knowing that eventually that costs him his life but knowing also that in that he would actually find far greater life and it would actually lead to our eternal life john piper puts it this way he says the surprise about jesus the messiah is that he came to live a life of sacrificial dying service before he comes to a second time to reign in glory and the surprise about discipleship is that it too demands a life of sacrificial dying service before we can reign with christ in glory See, contrary to popular opinion, Jesus didn't come to make your life comfortable. He didn't come so that you can just enjoy all the pleasures that this world may offer. So that we, you know, if we believe that means that we get all this stuff, there's a cost involved. Jesus comes so that we would recognize that Actually, we don't belong to this world. That we belong to a different kingdom. And it's within that kingdom that we find true life, which lasts forever. And so, in verse 33, we get the key verse that I want us to focus on. Where Jesus says, Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. This harks back to Jesus who's mentioned 
this sort of idea numerous times already. In Luke chapter 9, he says, Whoever must follow me must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. He says in that same breath, What good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit our soul? Later on in chapter 9, Jesus says that we, following him becomes the highest priority, even above our family. More than our home, more than our jobs. He says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Leave your fields, follow me. It's a bit of a confronting thought. Like, like Jesus says, you know, whoever does not leave his mother or father cannot follow me. Like, I don't know if this is like good parenting, so like, don't take my word on it. But like, would we ever say to our kids, actually, no, I'm not doing that. I need to spend time with God. Or I need to do this. Like, like I said, I'm not a parent, so don't take my word for it. But it was just a thought I had this week. Like, would we ever just say, like, actually, no, I'm not doing that because Jesus is my king. Not just in our home, but in our lives and in our... When God calls us to do these things, what, who's the king? Who's the one that we serve? In Luke 14, Jesus puts it even clearer. He says, if anyone does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. It's clear that Jesus says following him is to become the number one priority, that we need to lose our life to find it, to put the king and his kingdom first and foremost. But something that's really on my heart this morning is that, is that we wouldn't just hear the confronting challenge of that, those words but would actually hear the gracious invitation in it. See, I'm mindful that as I was reading this, as I was preparing, that I just kept, I just focused on the challenge. I need to lose my life. But when you actually read it, Jesus says, no, this is how you find your life. Like, do we hear that invitation at all? That actually Jesus is saying, this is how you find your life. He's showing us the way, the way to life, and it's through dying to ourselves and submitting to a king. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, The real Jesus requires more than you ever thought, but he offers more than you ever imagined. And I'm just mindful that so often in my life, so often in our life, we hear the first part, but we don't hear the second. We hear the challenge, but we miss the invitation. See, because we have this society that says there is no God. You don't need God. You can't trust people in authority. Religion's this scam. And all this comes, hits us every day. And maybe for some of us, we've had negative experiences in church and even our own sinful nature. All this can combine to actually lead us to distrust God. And when he says something like, whoever wants to lose his life, Whoever wants to find his life or lose it, whoever loses his life will find it. We hear that, and our immediate thought is one of hesitation rather than excitement because our world has led us to distrust God. But what if we actually believe God at his word, that he's a good, good father, that he is a firm foundation, that he's the only one who can save, that he's actually got good things in store for his children, that he's a good king, and that we would actually be excited to lose our life because we believe that actually we'll find it. 
So maybe for some of us this morning, we just need to actually have a revelation of who God is again. That's a right view of God that leads to a right response to Him. That when we truly understand this King, then we will truly be able to respond properly to Him. Maybe as we go through the Gospels, as you read through them in the next few weeks, as we lead into Easter, maybe that's just your prayer each day. God, just open my eyes again to see you for who you are. Maybe we need to understand again just who this King is. Because when we have a right view of God, that will lead to a right response to Him. So Jesus is not just saying, this is how you lose your life. But He's saying, this is how you find it. And it's like eating healthy, or doing exercise, or building a healthy and positive relationship. It takes effort. There's a challenge. But we do these things because we know that there's a benefit at the end, that it's worthwhile. Yeah? Everyone gets that? Like, I go, I try to go for a run because I know that's good for me, even though it's hard to get out of bed and it's hard to, like, put on the gear and go. I've been trying to eat healthy as well lately. That's another story. But we know these things are good, but we go, so we go through the challenge and the cost of it because we believe that in the end it's going to be worthwhile. Is it, should it not be even more with God? <laughs> that actually, yeah, I'll, I'll sacrifice, I'll obey, I'll serve, even though it's not easy, even though it's a cost, because I know that in the end it leads to life, now and forever. Because we believe that our Father is good, He's a good shepherd, that He leads us to life in all of its fullness and life everlasting. As we wrap up, I just want to like just hammer this home a bit for us. I came across this quote during the week. Hopefully, you can read it a little bit. If not, I'll read it out. Um, it's a bit of a long one. So, this is James Brian Smith who says the idea that following Jesus' teaching will lead to a boring life is one of the most effective narratives employed by the enemy of our souls. Satan and his minions know all too well that real joy is found only in obeying Jesus' commands. But with a twist here and there, and with the help of well-meaning, misguided religious folk, the Christian life can be portrayed as a holy bummer. I'm sorry if I've portrayed the Christian life as a holy bummer. How often do we do that? See, The devil wants people to fear the high cost of discipleship. But in reality, the cost of non-discipleship is much higher. I loved that. That really stuck out to me this week. That the cost of discipleship is higher, but the cost of non-discipleship is even higher. So the question is not, what will I have to give up to follow Jesus? But rather, what will I never get to experience if I choose not to follow Jesus? The answer is clear we will forfeit the chance to live a good and beautiful life. I believe that as Jesus comes to us and he says, whoever seeks to find his life will lose it, but whoever looks to lose his life will find it. That the way of Jesus leads us to life, now on earth 
in its fullness and one day eternally forever with the King. That the way of Jesus leads us to a peace that, that goes beyond understanding. It leads us to joy in all circumstances. It leads us to freedom from sin and from the world. It leads us to a hope that there is more, that, that God is doing something, that He's going to restore and renew all things. It, it leads us to a family of believers who, though sinful, will love like God has loved. It leads us to life, as Jesus says in John 10.10, life in all of its fullness. But you cannot live in the kingdom without the King. That the only way to the Father is through Jesus Himself. That we do need to bow our knee to the King, surrender to Him, accept His gift of salvation. Because this life of the kingdom comes through knowing the King. This is what Jesus says Himself as He prays for all of His disciples. He says in John 17, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and they know Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus says to us that eternal life is not just some pie in the sky sitting on clouds. But eternal life is knowing the King. And we get a glimpse of that now. We get a taste of that now. That we can actually live with Him in a loving relationship that leads us to life and He satisfies and He fulfills. But we recognize that that's in part. It's in a glimpse. One day we'll know even more, even more clearly. We'll see the King in all of His glory. And it'll be fantastic forever. So the kingdom of God is not a matter of here or there, but it's a matter of in your midst. Because the King is here. Jesus is here and He invites you to surrender. He invites us to obey, to worship, and to receive His kingship, His gift of salvation, trusting and knowing that it leads us to life. That Jesus calls us to live this way of the King and His kingdom. One of sacrifice, one of dying to ourselves, one of trusting and submitting to the Father's will. Trusting that it leads to life. Because we live with the King Himself in this relationship that carries on now and forever. So I wanna, uh, I'm going to invite our youth band up and we're going to sing a song in a moment. But what I wanted to do... Yeah, you guys can come up. Come up. Um, what I wanted to do is just to give us like... Before you guys start, let's just take like 30 seconds... Um, I just want to give us a moment to actually just be still, reflect, ask yourself, assess your heart. Is Jesus king of my life? Maybe ask God to show you parts of your life that aren't surrendered to him. We, we become really good at compartmentalizing our lives. And we have this part and yeah, Jesus is king here, but then I go to work and I kind of do my own thing and We've separated everything into these different spheres. 
Maybe there's parts of our life that need to be surrendered back to God. So we're going to take a moment just to just sit with that. Think about that. Reflect on that. Ask God to show you things. And then after a moment, you guys can invite us to stand. And we're going to sing this song where it says to lead us to the cross. To lead us to the place where Jesus gave his life and then gave us ours. And the song says to bring me to my knees. Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself, for I belong to you. And would we make that our prayer? So I want to just take a moment just to reflect on that, and then you guys can kick us off.